everyone, and welcome to Play on K, the Korean drama podcast with Emily and Raquel. And this is the show where we take a K drama, we watch it four episodes at a time, and then we get together here every week to talk about it. Yeah, this week we are doing our bonus episode of Tale of the Nine-Tailed. We've finished it up, and we are back to discuss it as a whole. Yeah, I really, I feel like we've kind of thrown this show under the bus a little bit pretty consistently every week. Yeah, there's a part of me that feels guilty, uh, as there will always be a part of me that feels guilty doing so to any show, because I don't know why we're here. Why do we review again? Because I don't feel comfortable being an authority on anything, (laughs) actually. We're really bad at it, actually. Um, But yeah, then there's the other part of me that's like, I don't know, we're here to talk about our feelings, and these are them. Yeah, we've got high horses, and we're gonna sit on them. So, if you don't like it, turn off the podcast. Push us off the horse. (laughs) Yeah, that might be healthier. (laughs) Um, But there is some... After doing some research, there was a soupy article in particular that changed my view on this show and made me realize there was a lot that just kind of went over our heads. Oh, boy. And maybe... This would have been so much better if we had ever studied or known anything about popular Korean mythology. Well, you know, it's important to acknowledge your mistakes, and I feel like we're about to. So, here we go. (laughs) It's just, it's, uh, I think, similar to Easter eggs in shows. Where, like, you don't have to catch them. It was an enjoyable show without knowing anything about Korean mythology or any of the characters. They explained enough of it that it was like, oh, I get what's going on. I understand kind of how things work. But knowing more about the myths, like I do now, very enlightened by five Wikipedia articles... It just feels like there was a lot that could have added to the show. You know, that's a really interesting twist on the Snail Bride story that they did there. We could have said that was cool instead of talking so much about all the things we wanted to complain about. Well, I'm here I'm here to learn. I'm excited to learn today. <laughs> uh, the only extra stuff I looked into was about... Um, I watched episode 17, which uh, the Ooh. year is 2021, if y'all are here and listening. I don't know if, like, if Tale of the Ninetale ever moves to Netflix or something and off of Vicky, I feel like Netflix wouldn't include the 17th episode. Um, so hopefully you got to see it. I don't know. You being the listener, not you being Emily. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did not watch it. I totally forgot about it. It was cute. It was it was pretty adorable. I mean, it kind of there were parts of it that just felt like rewatching the show. Um, but we can get into Well, let's if you don't mind, we can talk about that first and then you can share your mythology stuff. Um Yeah. And we I'm can interested. Kind of, okay, cool. Uh, cuz I feel like the mythology stuff will be more interesting to like end on. It'll be more a little more climactic probably um depends sell sell this episode 17 as hard as you can (laughs) so it is starring shinju 
and Yuri. Like, it is just them sitting on some chairs, rewatching scenes and talking oh. about it, but from the perspective of Shinju and Yuri, not the actors. <gasps> like, they are being them. What? But, you know, they definitely break character quite a bit, obviously. They just <laughs> talk about it. But when they reference anyone in the show, they reference them by their character name and not by their actor name. So oh. they reference um, Lee Dong-wook a lot and how he's very comedic on set. And um, he takes a lot of time to make people feel comfortable but they say it as, oh, look at Leon making everyone comfortable. He just is co- so easygoing and likable and da 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 da. Oh. Yeah, so it's really wholesome. And I loved that about it. Um, and they do, at the very top of the show, they literally go through like and explain everything that happened. Like the whole show. So if you didn't feel like watching this show, you could just watch them be like, okay, well... It opens up at the top of the show with, uh, you know, these two continually running into each other, and she's suspicious. She's got those PD instincts, so she starts to chase this lead, and did it, and it like goes through like what happens on the island, and then it goes through like um, that part with the bus stop and like the one survivor, and it's just. Really, really interesting how they just give a play-by-play. It was like watching... Yeah. Um, it was like listening to a podcast review. That's so weird. Yeah. Like, what an interesting choice for a bonus episode. Yeah, and yeah, that was the first half, and then the second half is when they start doing the behind-the-scenes stuff. Um, how long was it? It was a full, like, hour and 15 minutes. I didn't watch the okay. whole thing. Okay. Dang. Um, yeah, oh, and they have Lee Rong on it at <gasps> one point just to uh, ask him what his very favorite scene was, and I actually agree with him. It was probably, arguably, my favorite scene as well. Um, but it was the scene where he and Lee Young are in the forest, but it's the nightmare version of the forest, and Lee Young starts talking about how his sword has never missed its target, so why would Lee Rong be alive if he didn't want him to be alive? And it's very emotional for Lee Rong, and it's very, um, it's a pivotal moment, I think, for pretty much the whole show, because we have this villain in Lee Rong all the way up to this point, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, he doesn't feel like such a villain at all anymore. He was just a very lost boy. Dang. Oh, that's a good pick. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was it was nice hearing him, like, the actor and the character kind of talk about that moment, though. Like, that bonding moment of brothers, too. So I would definitely suggest at least skimming through that episode. Again, I didn't watch the whole thing. I don't know. I don't have a full hour's worth of patience for stuff like that. Mm. Anyone who listens to our podcast, wow, you know? <laughs> Hi. Why? Why do you listen to us? <laughs> I feel like you could watch it in like a year and be like, oh, I remember this show. I don't need to watch the whole thing again. But dang, walk down memory lane. Yeah, yeah. Just kind of revisit some scenes and, and remember what's going on with it. Yeah. Remember all the good feels. Yeah. Dang. Well... I'll have to buy the DVD box set and make sure it comes with the bonus features and that it has that episode. 
when it's eventually taken off Vicky. <laughs> Can't that wait. That is such a cute idea. Yeah. Yeah. It was cute that it was those two as as well. And they got to talk about their scenes and stuff. Yeah. Because that was a relationship that I was so here for. And I never imagined because... I mean, secondary relationships are always somewhat of a surprise to me. There are some shows with such amazing secondary leads that fall in love, and it's, like, so memorable. Descendants of the Sun, right off the top of the head. (laughs) Even, um, Oh My Venus, I still think about from time to time. There are just some secondary couples that you're like, I think about them, and I really like that they were together, and this show had that. Yeah, they had the very good secondary couple, and it's always so much better to me than incorporating a love triangle, is if you're like, actually, instead of love triangle, what if we explored love from a completely different perspective? Yeah, I get it. People enjoy love triangles. They're just not my thing. And with a secondary couple, you can instead take all those moments of awkward tension that would have happened with a love triangle and make them moments of the slowest slow burn ever imaginable. And all these (laughs) meet-cute moments. And just all the very small things that you would never take the time to do with the lead romance. You just shove them in the secondary romance. Because it's not quite as important, and it's not quite as uh, tense or epic or insane as the lead romance usually is. So it can just move a lot more mellow and slow, and it's so cute to watch. Yeah, I really like um, the inclusion of a secondary romance in two different scenarios as well. One being if the main couple takes a really long time to get together and it's nice to have a secondary couple that gets together pretty early Mm. and have them kind of have their own it's kind of it helps give you that little i don't know appetizer to to instead of having to wait the whole time to experience like a healthy relationship or whatever and then uh i also like kind of Uh, similar to what they did with this K-drama, where the main couple gets together pretty quickly, like pretty early on, and then they have a secondary couple that has their own slow burn a little bit, because Yuri and Shinju didn't take too long to get together, but they definitely took longer than Yun and uh, Jia, so. Yeah, and the way they got together was so different, where... Yeah, Leon and Jia were so explosive, and there was so much uh, build-up to them being together. There was 600 years of waiting for them to be together, and then they finally were, whereas Shinju and Yudi were more, like, pushed together constantly, and they didn't seem to really want to be together for a long time. But also they were so attracted to each other right off the bat. Yeah, yeah. So it was it was such a different relationship, and that was really yeah. nice, too. Yeah, it was a great contrast. I just wanted to talk about that forever, because 
I am unprepared to tell all these stories. <laughs> what was I'm your not favorite the greatest one? storyteller? Um, my favorite was probably the Snail Bride because I was looking the most forward to it. I think where Gumiho is a concept that I'm almost somewhat familiar with in that I've seen that there are a lot of shows about Gumihos, and that's kind of it. <laughs> I didn't know anything about anything. I really shouldn't say I knew anything about Gumihos, but I had no idea what the tale of the snail bride was, and I was really excited to look it up. And they kind of explained most of it in the show, where just this woman had a husband who was poor, and, well, I suppose, you start with the man. He's poor, he's taking care of his aging mother, he's working in a rice field, and he's saying, like, he's lamenting his life, saying, who am I going to share all this rice with? And someone says, you can share it with me. And he eventually finds that it's a snail that said that. It's not clear whether he knew the snail said it, but he eventually finds a snail. He takes it home, keeps it in like a jar or something. And every day when he comes home, there's meals prepared for him and his mother. And so he leaves for work one day and then sneaks back home to see that a beautiful maiden has come from the snail shell and is cooking meals for him. And he asks her to marry him that she agrees and they become wed but one day, I mean, there are like six different versions. Obviously, there are so many different versions of this story. Someday, somehow, the magistrate finds out about this beautiful maiden and kidnaps her. And then her husband dies of sadness and becomes a bluebird. And she starves herself and becomes a comb. That's the most popular version, according to the National Folk Museum of Korea's website. Beautiful and heartbreaking and just a little bit strange from my perspective, my dumb yeah. American perspective. <laughs> Very much so. But like, if it was a story you had grown up with, and you saw this restaurant where she's supposed to be, like, the snail bride is depicted as this woman who can cook amazing meals for her husband every day, you might immediately get a kick out of her having this restaurant, being a restaurant owner, period, but also preparing these meals for Leon, who's constantly like, eh, the food's just okay. And literally everybody else in Korea being pretty enamored, or everyone else who comes to a restaurant being pretty enamored with her food and pretty impressed with it, you might get a little bit more of a giggle out of, like, Leon snubbing it a little bit. Yeah, like, it's um, it's just that little wink, like you said, an Easter egg that we never understood, but you would have that background knowledge of it if you knew any amount of that particular piece of for folklore. lore. <laughs> <laughs> uh -huh. Oh no. That's exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> um, okay, next, next Korean myth brought to you by study.com. 
I'll try and cite my sources. They weren't all Wikipedia. Uh, the Bulgasari was the creature that ate metal and was trying to buy dreams. Oh, yeah, the nightmare thing. Yeah, the nightmare thing, which is completely a nightmare. So you thought the snail bride was strange. This was the strangest one, in my opinion. It is just a nightmare creature. It has the body of a bear with needle-like fur, the nose of an elephant, the eyes of a rhino, the claws of a tiger, and the tail of a bull. Which I could have said slower so you could actually picture those things stacking on top of each other. (laughs) But you never would be able to, because that is an insane creature, and it doesn't matter. The part that's crazy, though, is its origin. And of course, again, it's such an old myth that there are probably so many different versions of this. But uh, most stories seem to agree that it was created by a Buddhist monk using leftover rice paste as a reward to his brother-in-law who killed his wife who was the monk's sister, because the wife had been planning on accusing the monk of rape. And I don't even understand. There's so much missing from that story. I'm trying to decide if it's missing because study.com did not elaborate on a lot of details. Mm Mm-hmm. Or if it's missing because that's just how it was told. Like, if it was just kind of a weird story, like maybe someone, um, you know, got a little drunk one night and made up this piece (laughs) of folklore, but somehow got passed around, you know, and then it just Uh got a little bit more solidified and people would take pieces of the concept and run with it because they're like, I mean, as a whole, absolutely fucking insane. But as (laughs) like, as a small singular nightmare concept... A little bit spooky, good to leverage for my story about the fox, the nine-tailed fox, and how he fought just, one. Yeah, just a spooky little beast. He eventually, the, the beast eats metal, and eventually its hide turns to metal, so it's kind of unkillable. So that was a neat little, neat little throw-in from the show to be like, he has to eat metal. He's almost addicted to it. Yeah. <laughs> That's a spin that I can appreciate. Throw your money at him. And that's how you find them when they're hidden among us. But man. Pennies in the street from now on. Do you think they'll still (laughs) eat like dirty ass copper? I mean, no one wants the penny. No one wants the, the US penny. But maybe these guys. But maybe those things. Truly a monster. That one was the most confusing. Like you said, there are clearly pieces missing, and I don't know if it's from study.com or from the actual myth itself, but I mm, I feel like I know less about the Bulgasari after reading that. Yeah, it becomes much more mysterious, so I will give the original storyteller that much. It is <laughs> very mysterious. What a mysterious guy. <laughs> um, let's see what else I looked up. Okay, two more. Imugi, who we kind of briefly talked about. I think I googled this 
first when we very first came across them. And they are, as the show said, often depicted as serpents, uh, like footless and wingless dragons who are trying to become dragons. So that was mostly explained in the show. One tiny Easter egg from the article about them was that they often live in water, whereas um, European dragons are often depicted as fire and destruction. That most Asian dragons and Korean dragons are depicted as being associated with water and agriculture. So for one thing, we got the whole thing about him coming from a well, and then at one point, Leon tries to trap him in a puddle, and that's kind of a thing that they they throw in every so often, is that Imugi is associated with water. I think at one point, when they bring the baby out, it's, it's almost like he comes from the ocean. Yeah, it, he seemed to come from the ocean, definitely. That- that was the vibe I got because it was the weird CEO creep, the weird trader CEO, mm-hmm. carrying a baby walking up the beach. Mm-hmm. So that feels like it came from the ocean. Yeah. More little Easter eggs that you might be like, oh, something spooky's coming from the ocean. And there's a lot of imagery of a footless dragon around town. I know what that is way before they have to explain it. So, most dragons, not necessarily this Imugi that was like a serpent, but most dragons, are they typically good or neutral or could go either way, could be evil? Do you know? I think they're neutral. According to Wikipedia, most Korean dragons are depicted as benevolent, sometimes helpful. There have even been stories of them being tricked by greedy or cruel humans. But mostly they're benevolent. Well, you know, as usual, Korea has come up with much nicer, beautiful things than us. I mean, that's not to say I'm not a big, big fan of fire dragons, but (laughs) I wouldn't want to meet one. No. No, Yeah, I think that the depiction in... European folklore is very much like if you see a dragon, you're dead. It's, it's kill or be up. killed. Yeah. But if you kill, you're gonna be the king's favorite knight, so keep that in mind. Keep that in mind. You could go down a hero, but also you will probably die. Because <laughs> dragons are mean. Korea's like, no, dragons just bring the rain. Like they bring it from the rivers. <laughs> To our crops, and that's pretty dope. We do need our crops, so we'll take it. We do like to eat, so (laughs) thank you for the dragons. And the Imugi are just like lesser dragons trying their best to become dragons. One of the potential prerequisites, there were a few different versions, but one of the potential prerequisites was like a thousand years of good deeds. I was like, ugh. Wouldn't that be so nice if our Imugi in the show was just like, a thousand years of good deeds for y'all. I'm going to write a spin-off se- Oh, here we go. It's the spin-off series time <laughs> of the bonus episode. Spin-off series. An Imugi 
that is trying to become a god slash dragon, similar to this Amugi, but it's the main character. We'll make it a she, because we've always wanted that. So, for once, the main character of a fantasy drama that is the mythical character gets to be the female. Here we go. She's looking to become a dragon, and she's doing lots of good deeds. Um, who should she fall in love with? What would make it the most narratively interesting for her to be, like, who? Do you know? I I feel like it has to be a human, because it's always a human that causes the most tension, but also it brings the audience into the story a little bit. Yeah, like it, it's that connection of worlds. Yeah, and that, I think something that Tale of the Ninetale did really beautifully was with Leon wanting to be a human was him constantly romanticizing human life and saying, like, you can cry all you want, but even death and all of your hardships and your everyday boring tasks are so beautiful to me. And I think that's an underlying tone in a lot of fantasy shows of, like, Regular human life is underappreciated, and I hope the audience appreciates it. Beautiful. So I'd say that our Imugi has to fall in love with a human. Yep, so the Imugi falls in love with a human, which is very inconvenient, because she's really just trying to focus on herself right now and doing all of her good deeds. <laughs> uh-huh. So that she can become a dragon. Um, that's as far as I've gotten. Okay. We'll see if anything I else comes that. up. If you want in on this, email us. <laughs> we'll get a script going on Google Docs. <laughs> yep, email us, we'll send you the link. This is going to be an open source K-drama. <laughs> oh, it's going to be a mess. <laughs> um, can't wait to start our new podcast where we do uh, script readings of open source dramas. K-dramas that we've created. <laughs> Ooh, we, can we hire voice actors for all the roles? Yes, absolutely, we can. Laura okay, Bailey looking at you. One. <laughs> I know you're unemployed right now, so probably you'll want to be on our podcast. <laughs> she probably doesn't make that much money, right? We can afford her. I definitely looked up her net worth. But we can't afford her. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> I also, when I looked it up, got a really sad spoiler for a video game she's in that I wasn't even looking that up, but, you know. Thanks, internet. Thanks, Google. I didn't need the suggested searches. That actually wasn't something I needed. I just was looking for the one thing. New suggested searches did have, like, a big bad spoiler. Anyway, um, that's all from that portion of the completely unrelated tangent Raquel wanted to take. (laughs) <laughs> okay my last one is the Gumiho which is a very popular myth spread throughout or shared throughout China Korea and Japan this nine-tailed fox depiction is pretty popular you've seen Naruto we all we all know um but the, the big difference of the Korean Gumiho is that it has a fox speed, which, you know, just another thing about this wonderful show that could have been cooler if we'd known about it. 
but apparently they carry around this fox bead that has like all the knowledge in the world and they can I don't know this part's a little bit like what but apparently they can like make out with you and put the fox bead in your mouth and then it like sucks out the human energy within you and then they can take it back and just you know their power grows or you can try and swallow it before they can get it back and then you can absorb a lot of their like knowledge of the universe kind of open that third eye and that's just a, a, a fun little side effect of making out with a fox making out make out with more foxes play it's like <laughs> a fun play with that fire you know see if you can swallow some fox beads see what happens um, just go for it yeah i i would also like to see that somewhat maybe that can be like a side plot of another human that is running around trying to get as many fox beads as possible and trying to make out with everyone. Um, <laughs> and not die. Yeah. Because these going out, part of their myth, as they kind of mentioned in the show, is that they usually only interact with humans to try and seduce them and eat their livers. That's a big thing. Dangerous game. Yeah. Make out with but someone, you... but... They might What's eat that? your liver. They might take your gum and your liver, so. <laughs> so be careful. <laughs> I will say as a point against us, which, you know, there should be many. We wanted the Imugi to be a woman so badly with all of our hearts. One thing that we didn't know was that in mythology, in Korean mythology, often the Gumiho is depicted as a female, like a seductress. And this was one of, or maybe the first show, Korean drama to depict a Gumiho as a male. Hmm. Why is it better to make the male the super powerful fox thing? Uh, do we want to analyze this? Do we want to fall down, go down this foxhole? I think it's fine if we just say, do it once. I think that was great. Do everything once. We can gender bend one time, and I'm into that. I mean, like, almost all of the foxes were males in this. There was one female fox. Well, there were two, but one got murdered in the first episode. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. <laughs> By a male fox. By a male fox. A more powerful male fox. Oh, no. <laughs> Shouldn't have opened this can of worms. <laughs> well... I just... What is... What is... The monster, I'm, I'm blanking right now. There's a monster that's a female that, like, sucks the life out of you. A succubus. Yeah, it sounds like usually Gumihos are very adjacent to a succubus. Yeah. So I'm fine with switching it up and being like, what would, what would happen? What would it look like? Because the prevalence of the succubus in... Eastern or Western mythology, and then the presence of the Gumiho as a seductress in Eastern mythology. I think I males... get it. If we're like, we've seen it, we've seen it. It's old. Well, I think there are, is such thing as a male succubus, though. It's called an incubus. Oh, what? I thought it was just like a vampire. <laughs> She's not very good at any of this <laughs> mythology stuff. Okay. 
Well, I, I'm glad they tried it once. I'm okay with having one single show about a male Gumiho. That's plenty. And good for you for making it and being the first. Yeah, the only other show I've ever watched about Gumiho was a one-episode thing. Again, watch, or if you subscribe to our Patreon, because um, I think I said this when we talked about Gumiho, the very first episode. Um, but if you subscribe to our Patreon, there's a bonus episode that we recorded um, where I watched a very low-rated um horror anthology and the first episode was about female Gumiho. Um there was no seduction. <laughs> <laughs> there was murder. But there was another show that start oh, my girlfriend is a Gumiho from ten years ago that I've never watched and I've seen so many uh advertisements for with Shinmina, our beloved Shinmina from Oh My Venus, where oh. she's the Gumiho. I think that's a that's the that's the second most popular one. I will say confidently. I was gonna undermine it by saying I think I don't really know. But what's the <laughs> point? It's my podcast. <laughs> Correct me if I'm wrong. Come I at will me. confidently say the second most popular Gumiho story. The first most popular until this groundbreaking new show was a female-centered one. A classic. A classic. I bet that isn't super high rated either. Maybe that'll be the next one I watch. Yeah, you should watch that next. <laughs> I will. It's I'll watch Shin my... She's a doll. I love her. I'll go watch My Girlfriend is a Gumiho if I can find it. <laughs> if it's licensed in my area. Um, That's fair. And see if I can uh, learn more. Learn more through the lens of K-dramas. <laughs> <laughs> one fun thing that I heard or I read about Gumiho's was that they are often depicted as having one feature or a few features that are still very fox-like. So it's neat. I think it was off or not off-putting, just surprising to see Lee Dong-wook with red hair. Yeah. But it's so neat to be like, he's very foxy. That's the thing about Gumiho's. They're a bit foxy. They're a bit foxy. I thought that just about everyone... I need to not shift when I'm talking because it, it makes a noise every time. It's easier to edit out later. Anyway, that'll come out in post, I'm sure. Um, I thought pretty much all of the other characters, except maybe Shinju, looked very fox-like. Um, mm -hmm. All of the fox characters. Like, I thought Lee Rong looked very fox-like, and I thought Yuri looked very fox-like. Those two have foxy little faces. They did such a good job with casting those two. Shinju, no shade. He's also very um, not eccentric looking. He's got a very, he's got distinct features. That's the word I'm looking for. He's very distinct looking but it just wasn't quite as like that's a fox as, yeah. as the other two. He didn't look like a dangerous fox. Uh, he looked like yeah. a little puppy fox. They also should have dyed his hair a fox color. Ooh, that would so it would be clear. Yes. <laughs> but that was neat. It was neat seeing Lee Dong Wook have some red hair. It's something that I would have thought would not work and would look bad. But of course it didn't. It looked wonderful. Um, can I ask, 
Did you ever watch Boys Over Flowers? I did not. Okay. I watched it when uh, the Korean Drama Podcast came out. It's just called Korean Drama Podcast. They have two seasons. I've only listened to season one, and it was very good, and they watched Boys Over Flowers. And honestly, I think I stopped watching about halfway through and just started listening to the podcast because the show is really terrible, however many years after production. It's just one of those classic K-dramas where everybody is a bully, including the male lead. Mostly the male lead. So very airs. Very airs. Same era. It's, uh, I think that was Lee Min Ho's, like, first huge drama, Boys Over Flowers was. And, uh, it's rough. It's rough to watch it after watching a few dramas. But, um, anyways, I forget my point. (laughs) Point is, oh, that Lee Rong was in it. Oh, what? Was he? He he was one of the boys with the flowers. Was he a bully? He, so just to break down the boy group, there is (laughs) main character, Lee Min Ho. He's the male lead. There is love triangle character, kind of the quote unquote soft boy, aka the only reasonable human being in the group. I don't remember his name, but he wore a blonde wig. So he's the blonde one. (laughs) And then there's the two other ones. Lee Rong was one of the two other ones. And he did have a cute storyline where he, like, falls in love with the female lead's friend. And he struggles with falling in love with her because she is poor. And that is hard for him. Yes. But other than that, he doesn't really have a personality. He is just kind of... Uh, boy. boy number three. <laughs> yeah. So it was uh, kind of one of those like, oh, I know that face. And wow, he was cast really well both because, bo- in both of these shows where he is just so stunningly handsome that of course he would be one of the boys in the group. But also it's so much nicer to see him as an actual character with so many feelings. Yeah, and if you listen to our last episode, y'all know that he was our favorite character. He was my favorite character, at least. I, I won't mm-hmm. speak for you. Was he your favorite character, Em? He was my favorite character. He was so good. He did such a good job. He was so narratively... He brought so much to the table. He made everything much more interesting. Every scene he was in was more emotional and exciting because he was in it, and... He did a fantastic job. So yeah, I'm also glad that he was cast as he was, and I um he did such a good job. I don't know the actor's name. I'm the Pitts. Yeah, but... someday we'll learn that. <laughs> Maybe go... in his third show. Yeah, I'll go follow him on Instagram. Um, That's what I do. That's how I learn and really connect with Korean drama actors. Um, I believe but couldn't say definitively because the translation on all of the messages is not very good, so it's hard to tell. But Lee Ki-woo, who was the male, secondary male lead, so like the triangle lead of mm. um, just between lovers. Okay. The and, tall guy. Yeah, the tall guy. I'm pretty sure he adopted a puppy this week, so... <laughs> <laughs> it's a really cute puppy, too. <laughs> so follow people on Instagram. Him. You almost learn things about them if you know Korean. 
fair enough. Or you could use that good, good, good Google Translate like we do and somewhat learn things. Yep, just half learn them. <laughs> Aww. Um, what would you rate this show? Um, I would give this show, uh, is 7.5 too mean? It was brutal, but I'm here for it. <laughs> I'll go 8. Okay. And we can meet in the middle. <laughs> 7.75 stars 7. from Play on K. stars. That is pretty brutal. Maybe I should bump up to 8 and we can just give it a solid 8 stars. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, let's give it a Play on K 8 stars, because the production value was fantastic. I really loved Lee Dong Wook. The acting throughout was really great. We just didn't get as engaged, which is where the two stars came from. There were just moments, and if you listen throughout the entirety of all of our episodes of this, you will uh, kind of get into the nitty-gritty of why we didn't engage with certain things in this show. Yeah. And those are valid. Yeah. So we'll stick with our eight. That's not a bad rating. Yeah, eight's pretty good. It's pretty good. Do we have any awards to give? Um, the only nomination I have for Bus Stop Girl Award is more comical than anything, because it's the guy <laughs> at the bus stop. <gasps> was it the old totem grandpa? Yeah. That's who I was going to nominate. So we'll give our Bus Stop Girl Award to the bus stop grandpa. Nice. Yeah. Because he confused us, but I think at the end of the day he did a good deed. Yeah. Did a good turn. Right. He did a, he did our girl a good turn. He almost choked her out there for a minute and that was confusing. <laughs> but but she's at alive. the end of the day, she's alive. Because of him. <laughs> and that's more than most of our bus stop girls can say. Uh, there was only like one dog that I can think of. I feel bad if there are other dogs, especially if they died, because this main dog really didn't do much. There were two dogs technically, because Blackie was also a puppy. In it. <gasps> oh, Blackie gets the award, for <laughs> sure. We'll give the happy award to Blackie. I forget Shinju's dog's name. Anastasia. Anastasia, okay. I really feel like Anastasia went through a lot, and then she died and was reincarnated as a completely different breed for the next episode that she was in. <laughs> I don't know if anybody else was troubled by that. Well, I was glad they finally aged her at the very least. Yeah, but they really did not address that it, it was a completely different dog. Nope. Nope. That's the same dog. That's the same dog? Oh, cool. I've never seen dogs before, so I assume <laughs> you're right. Yeah, that seems like the same dog, I guess. I like dogs. They seem cool. They all look the same. They all do look the same. Uh, and that one is the same as the one before. So nice. <laughs> Glad you saved it. Uh, I don't need to be caught up on that. <laughs> Blackie is our award winner. Good for you, bud. For sticking around the forest even when your owner had abandoned it. Oh, we can't talk about it. <laughs> uh, we don't like when we have happy award winners. No, it's actually really hard to deal with happy award winners. Do you have anything else to say about this show? Um, I feel like we've said a lot. Mm -hmm. 
Um, I feel pretty comfortable with, with where we're leaving it. I don't have much else. Anything from you? No. I feel like if we talked about fashion, I would just go on for hours about how good Lee Rong looked and how hit and miss Gia's outfits were. Yeah, at the beginning, I loved all of them. By the end, I was like, I love 70% of these. There's like that yellow outfit that uh, she's in when Leon dies, and I was like, I'm here for that. That is so pretty. And then there's the outfit when she's on the beach, and it's like turtleneck plus grandma dress plus (laughs) grandma cardigan. Plus sneakers. Hey, where did you get that? Can you return it still? Does it have the tags? Could it? Could could you return it? You don't need to. You can just donate that. <laughs> get rid of that. I do not like it. Yeah, all of the components, I'm sure, are fine alone. But, but what are you doing? Stacking them up like that. <laughs> Hit and miss. But... Yeah, I don't think any of the fashion in this show, obviously, Lee Rong and Leon and Yuri were pretty stunning all the time, every scene. Yeah, pretty consistently they were bringing their their A-game to the fashion of this show. But it wasn't like, wow, I'm going to remember this look forever. It was just like, those are great outfits. I liked them. There are things periodically that happen that indicate to me how out of touch with fashion I am as a person. Um, Usually these things happen in K-dramas, and the thing that happened in this K-drama was the sneakers, the like tennis shoe sneaker things that Leon buys for Gia. (laughs) Did they not light up? They look or do like they, they light up? Yeah, they look like Skechers. They look like light-up Skechers. That I think I had a pair of glittery light-up Skechers where like the sole was like 15 miles thick and it lit up. Um, mm-hmm. When I was probably like 8? 7 or 8? And that's your gift to your adult girlfriend? Sure, bud. And maybe those are fashion. Like Maybe people looked at those and were like, dope fucking shoes. <clears throat> but uh I only saw her wear them once, so <laughs> I don't know. That's all I'll say. Yeah, some bold choices that I did not understand. But you know, okay. It's probably on us. Yeah. <laughs> We're being real, it's on us. We're behind on fashion. Yeah, I like what I like and it's not fashionable. I'll give I'll give you that. Well played, K dramas. <laughs> Um, that was my last thing. Well, if you guys have anything else that you wanted to add to all of our thoughts, you can email them to us at playonkpodcast at gmail.com. Or you can leave comments directly on our episodes. Our website is playonk.com, and there you can also find a link to our Patreon or sign up for our newsletter so you never miss when we start a new show or when I monthly send out emails of what I watched. Yeah, we also have, uh, we're on a bunch of different streaming services. Uh, You can find us on Blueberry, Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, and on most of those platforms. You can also rate, review, and subscribe in some way, and doing so helps other K-drama podcast lovers find us. Yeah, or if you want to support us more directly, we are on Patreon, patreon.com slash playonk, and there we have 
blog posts and watch parties and bonus episodes and lots of fun stuff. But also, we just enjoyed having a space that we can talk to you guys. And it means the world to us that you show your love and support there. Thank you, thank you for all of our patrons. Yeah, thanks so much. And if you haven't checked it out, check out our tiers. Woo! Um, and then we are also on different social media sites like Instagram and Twitter. You can find us on Instagram at PlayOnK and on Twitter at PlayOnK Podcast. Did I switch those? Yep. Okay. You can find us on Twitter at PlayOnK and you can find us on Instagram at PlayOnK Podcast. Woo! I was like half listening, so it took a solid minute to register (laughs) that anything had happened. It's hard. What We don't know why we've done it the way we have, but we have. We should just pre-record this part so that we stop ruining it every <laughs> week. <laughs> uh, but then how would people get to know about how we're absolute messes? I think the point is that they're not supposed to. Yeah, I, but, well, but mm, it's too well, Here we are. <laughs> <laughs> it's been years. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening uh, to this episode and to this series of episodes. We're starting a new K-drama next week. So watch your emails and we will announce what we're coming out with soon. Yeah. Okay, bye.